Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're not here to indulge in fantasy, but in political and economic reality. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will say that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with some uh, money-themed stuff today. Uh, that clip was from uh, Wall Street. Greed is good. Greed drives the uh, the capitalistic system, and greed is what we're seeing right now. And I'm not saying anybody's being greedy, but we're seeing that we're seeing that uh, what Biden thinks is going to save this country is is getting rid of fossil fuels. And by cutting down the uh, the production of fossil fuels in this country, it affected everything in the economy. And you watch when it gets to November, and especially and again when we get to November of 2024, people want to live good lives. They don't want to live in. They don't want to live with uh, with. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I haven't paid eight dollars a gallon yet, but I've seen it in L.A. on TV. I've paid almost seven dollars in a gallon. Um, people don't want to pay that. People don't want to pay that for gas. They don't want to pay $8 for a burger at Carl's Jr. And they don't want to pay uh, an extra $600 a month to, to live their lives. You know, it, uh, you know, it's bottom line. And, and the government seems to think everybody's doing fine. Everybody's working and everybody's everything is all honky dory. And this bad news is just bad news. I don't know how people that make normal amounts of money, let's say someone who makes $50,000 a year, $50,000 a year is about $4,200 a month. And at $4,200 a month, that means you take home about $3,000 a month. So if you're taking home $3,000 a month, and we just increased your, your, uh, your outgo by $600 a month, which is uh, what they're saying in, in uh, I think it was a uh, senator in South Dakota said yesterday that 
the average family's uh, outgo has gone up $600 a month between gas and groceries and everything else. Um, it went up $600 a month and that's in South Dakota. Imagine what it did in California. But if you're making 50 grand, you just increase your debt ratio by 20%. How are people surviving on that stuff? They're either uh, not going places. They're, you know, they're having to sacrifice, having to sacrifice. And Americans don't like to sacrifice. We like to live big. We like to live big. We work hard. We play hard and we reward ourselves and we uh, pay the price. That's just not the case anymore. We're heading towards we're heading towards socialism. Hey, nobody has anything and the government has to provide everything because otherwise people will just starve. It's scary. That song was uh, Money by the Beatles. I know there's a lot of versions of that out, but the Beatles is the one I like. And uh, it's, you know, we're talking about money today. So anyway, we're going to talk a lot more about money and everything that's going on in this country because it all comes down to the to the dollar right now. You know, uh, when I put solar solar panels on my house, I didn't do it to stay green and to save the earth. I did it because it saved me money. My sister, my sister put hers on and I go, why would you put that on? It's going to take 15 years to, to break even. I put 107 panels at my house and it pays for it. It paid for itself in a little under six years. And, uh, and I said, she goes, well, don't you care about saving the earth for your kids and your grandkids? I said, no, because I don't believe, I don't believe we have an effect on that. And I think the earth renews itself. I didn't do it to go green. I did it to save green. So and that's what drives people. That's what I believe drives people. And I think uh, we're we're seeing that we're going to see that at the at the uh, at the polls, which are next week for the primaries. Um, we're going to see that turn turn a turn against the Democratic Party because you know what? If you just got rid of if you just got rid of Elon Omar and if you just got rid of uh, Rashida Tlaib and uh, and uh, AOC and a few others, if you just get rid of them, we could go back to to thinking normal about living lives and, and having, uh, you know, the, the ones with the loudest mouths, the one that want us to turn America into something it isn't and never has been. Um, they're the ones that are, they're driving this and, and Biden and Pelosi and, and all the Democrats are just, just scared, scared. I wanted to scare. I wanted to say something scared, something less, but they're just scared out of their, out of their minds. That if they don't go along with it, that they're gonna they're gonna lose their positions. Well, hey, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe that's what you need to do is lose your positions, and maybe we need to all just stand up. Say, hey, AOC, you're a bartender. Go go make a pina colada. Elon Omar, you're not even your name's not even Omar. It's uh, Nur Said Elmi. Uh, go back to uh, Somalia and uh, send the rest of your family that you know your brother that you married. Send him back there too that you married him so you could get him in here illegally. And uh, and Rashida Tlaib, you should go back to uh, wherever you came from, too. And uh, let's make America what America has always been. And that's America. So anyway, before I go on, let me let me introduce myself. For those who don't know me, my name's Ed Hoffman, branch manager, Planet Home Lending. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate or some oppor- some fantastic opportunities you can create because you own real estate, and you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to talk about uh, real estate financing, but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet, 
Go to edhoffman.net, click on the Planet Home Lending logo. That'll take you to my lending page. You can fill in the form. Tell me how much information you tell, tell me how much information, put in as much information as you want to give me. Tell me how much information you want back. And you'll hear back from either myself or one of my talented teammates, Brian Goodman, Brian Beck, uh, Jackson Waldrop, or Casey Grash. And we'll help you find the missing pieces of your real estate financing puzzle and help it, get, help it just get right back in there so everything's complete. You know, if you're not, if you're not sure that you're in the market, if you're just not sure, you know, I know rates are high, but maybe my financial situation, maybe it makes sense. I promise you, if it doesn't make sense, I'll tell you to not do anything. Um, but uh, but give us a call or go to edhoffman.net, click on the Planet Home Le- uh, Planet Home Lending logo. If there's some part of the show you want repeated, stay on edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows. And you can also get the uh, podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, where you can uh, where you can actually subscribe for free, have it download to your to your device, your uh, your your phone or your computer or your iPad or your iPod or your mini pad or your maxi pad or whatever it is that uh, you listen to podcasts on today. I'm sure there's devices I haven't even heard of yet that you can listen to podcasts on since so many people are listening to podcasts. Um, and if you want to uh, send comments on the show. Uh, send me a comment to ed at edhoffman.net. Um, also, somebody uh, sent in a, a comment saying, hey, what about the, uh, the FBI? Why aren't we holding them accountable? Um, I think uh, I was surprised by that comment because I talked about why aren't we holding the FBI accountable for this? So maybe you were just sending in that, that thing and say, hey, I agree with you. We should hold the FBI accountable. So just so you know, I, I read your email. All right. So let's talk about spinning the economy which is uh, what this week was all about. An op-ed supposedly written by Joe Biden was published in the Wall Street Journal on Monday, supposedly as a way to announce the president's three-point plan for combating inflation. But I don't think anybody really believes that Biden could write a whole article. Um, Somebody just wrote it and put his name on it. And yet much of it sounds more like finger-pointing. Some examples. The global economy faces serious challenges. Inflation is elevated and exacerbated by Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. All right, okay, point the finger at Vladimir Putin. In January 2021, when I took office, the recovery had been stalled and COVID was out of control. Well, I think in January 21, COVID was kind of starting to get under control and the recovery had stalled. The recovery stalled because of COVID. And uh, I, I don't I don't even know that we needed a recovery, actually, because we were doing good before COVID. And all we had to do is just get people back to work. I don't know that it was a recovery. It was just open back up. The Federal Reserve has primary responsibility to control inflation. And then he should have written, well, since I don't understand what the Federal Reserve does and I don't understand how inflation happens, I'm just not going to uh, get in their way. My predecessor demeaned the Fed. And past presidents have sought to influence its decisions inappropriately during terms of elevated inflation. I won't do this again because I don't understand how it works. I don't understand how, you know, uh, raising the interest rates affects things. And I don't understand how how uh, quantitative easing helps or quantitative tightening hurts. I don't understand any of that stuff. So I'm just going to be a dummy and not say anything. His predecessor, Mr. Trump. Had, uh, had understood how the economy works. And he understood, hey, when the, when the inflation starts to show up, that's when you raise rates. You raise rates to slow things down so it doesn't keep going up. 
And when that happened, it should have happened a year ago. And they didn't start till a month ago. So the, the feds dropped it. So when the feds dropped the ball, you say, hey, I'm not going to say something to them because they're in charge of controlling inflation. Well, not when you keep throwing, throwing, uh, throwing uh, uh, wrenches, wrenches into it and, and uh, make, things, make things that would happen naturally be unnatural. The price at the pump is elevated in part because Russian oil, gas, and refining capacity are off the market, but mainly because you turned off, turned off the spigots in the United States. If Biden had a clue, if Biden had a clue what he was doing, he'd be able to, to, take, some, he'd be able to take back control of it. And you know what? I don't, I don't know that I'd ever forgive him, but you know, if he came out and said, hey, I screwed up, maybe uh, turning off the, the production of oil in this country was a little premature. Maybe we weren't, weren't ready to, to swivel over to, uh, to, to green energy all over the place. Maybe that was just, we tried to move a little too fast. I'm just going to turn back on the pipeline and I'm going to turn back on drilling and I'm going to turn back oil production. I'm going to turn back all those, all those oil company jobs and oil refining jobs and all that. I'm going to turn that back on. I messed up. I think he might have a chance. He might have a chance of, of uh, saving the country, but he might have a chance of even having some respect of some people. I still don't think he'd get reelected. Um, other parts of the op-ed focus on in, inventing imaginary victories. In less than a year and a half, my administration's economic and vaccination plans helped achieve the most robust recovery in modern history. Well, the pandemic, not a pandemic, the pandemic, because we planned this to uh, throw off the uh, election, uh, shut down the economy. And if you remember, Trump was saying, hey, we got to get our economy back open. We got to get our economy back open. We got to get our economy back open. And of course, everybody just pushed him down. And, oh, you know, he's not listening to the science. Science had nothing to do with this. And we saw and we saw the thing spread, whether we were shut at home or whether we wore masks or whether we went to work. It didn't matter what any of that happened. You know, uh, a virus does what it does. Um, the job market is the strongest since post-World War II era. With 8.3 million new jobs and millions of Americans getting jobs with better pay. Well, I seem to think when you've got a surplus of jobs and people won't take them, that's a, that's a unique situation. Uh, and, it's, and it's served, and, and I think it's caused by we paid people so much money to stay at home, they didn't want to go back to work. And I can, I can point fingers at, at particular specific people and tell you, hey, you know, you stayed at home too long and you forgot how to work and you forgot how to get up in the morning and get in your car, you know, take a shower and get cleaned up and have your breakfast and drive to work and, and work there and work hard and strive, strive to do better. You forgot how to do that. And they've never gone back to work. Now the government forced the, the minimum wages up. So now you can't get people to go to work uh, unless you pay them 20 bucks an hour and uh, to flip hamburgers. And you're starting to see restaurants that you're used to going in and, uh, and uh, you know, giving them business. And you, you go there and say, oh, we're not closed. We're not open on Tuesdays or Wednesdays because uh, we have to cut down our hours because of the cost, because the costs are high or we can't get people to, to come in. And you're starting to see reduced hours, reduced days. And that's, kill, that's killing people. You know, hey, I'm only working five days a week now instead of seven. Yeah, but you're only getting five days of income instead of seven as well. 
<clears throat> so I, I seem to, I seem to think some of these, uh, these, uh, these bullet points are just BS. Since I took office, families have increased their savings and have less debt. How can that be? They're spending an extra $600 a month and they're saving more and they paid off their debt. I'm going to call BS on that. I led the largest release of global oil reserves in history. Yeah, that's a, that's a positive thing. I think it's a negative thing because you gave away uh, 25% of our, our, of our oil reserves that did nothing for the price of oil. Didn't do anything, but it just reduced our, our uh, oil reserves. And those oil reserves are there for when there's an emergency and we can't get oil. You know, our oil reserves will probably power the country for 30 days, uh, but now only 22 days. Um, in, the, in the instance where we actually have, have an unavailability of oil, long enough to get us back online. And then his last point here is, the U.S. is in better economic position than almost any other country. Well, I don't know that I believe that either. But you know what? The, the Trump's, Trump's uh, uh, focus of America first, America first, America first, and you saw him go in front of other leaders and say, hey, I'm going to make decisions based on what's best for the United States, as you guys should make decisions on base, what's based, best for your countries. If Biden understood that, he wouldn't be sucking up to to uh, Saudi Arabia to solve our gas problems, and and he's gonna, you know, and hopefully when the the grain shortage from uh, Ukraine from the Ukraine war that's actually a result of that, we produce enough grain, wheat, corn, rice here that we don't have to we don't have to be affected by that if we just don't export it, keep it here. It's kind of common sense. It's a math problem. Um, the op-ed also made clear that Biden remains obsessed with the idea that we are in a transition. We are in a transition. With the right policies, the U.S. can transition from recovery to stable, steady growth and bring down inflation without giving up these historic gains. Well, I don't really see the gains. I see we, hey, you know what? People are making more money. Yeah, but their money's worth less. What's the, so what's the point? During the transition, growth will look different. We will likely see fewer record job creation numbers, but this won't be a cause for concern. If the average monthly job creation shifts in the next year from the current levels of 500,000 to something closer to 150,000, it will be a sign that we are successfully moving into the next phase of recovery. As this kind of job growth is consistent with low unemployment rate and healthy economy. Well, let's discuss that real quick. I talked about this last month. When the job job numbers, the ADP ADP comes out on Wednesday, saying, "Hey, based on the ADP, the big payroll company, based on our records of what we see, this is how many new jobs were created this month." And then the Bureau of Labor Statistics has their has theirs, and there was a big disconnect between the two in April. Now for May, ADP came out and said there was 123,000 new jobs created in May, and two days later, the Bureau of Labor of Labor Statistics says 390,000. Hmm. Who do you believe? Well, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics is part of the government and ADP is a is private is a private company. Who do you believe to to uh to tell you the truth? I just don't buy it. The most important thing we can do now to transition from rapid recovery to steady stable growth is to bring inflation down. That is why I've made tackling inflation my top economic priority. I didn't really hear any solutions there. So what did we learn about Biden's plan to combat inflation? Here's Larry Kudlow, 
on the op-ed. Biden's article in the Wall Street Journal today that was the talk of the town had no new inflation plan, anti-inflation plan. It had nothing. I mean, what he's setting us up here is for his vision, this woke vision of a fossil free economy, which is going to do enormous damage to the economy. It'll put it in a permanent recession. It'll cause millions of job losses and rising unemployment. And of course, as you can see, the gas prices and the diesel prices and the world oil price, I mean, that's gone back to $120. So inflation is going to rage. He had no plan today. He wants fossil free. He knows it's going to cause a recession, and I don't think they care. And I think all this talk in this uh, Wall Street Journal article about a transition, I think he's saying it's a transition to fossil-free, and it's a transition to a recession, and they're trying to sugarcoat it, and people are going to see right through it. I like a guy who just talks English so you can understand it instead of just talking in circles with, with big words that he doesn't even understand. Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, uh, said this week to prepare for economic hurricane and prepare for gas shortages and prepare for food shortages. Biden's economic advisor, Brian Deese, took the podium at the press conference on Tuesday to deliver the points again, where he repeatedly used the administration's current economic buzzwords, transition, recovery and position of strength. What this president uh, has tried to do in every stage uh, in this historic and unique economic recovery is to effectively communicate to the American people where we are. Uh, we are now moving into uh, a, a phase which is really a transition, that transition that he spoke about. One of the, one of the things about this transition, uh, and we are in this transition, we have the strongest uh, labor market uh, in modern history. One of the things about having the strength of the labor market recovery that we have had uh, to date um, is that we are uniquely well positioned to actually move toward more uh, more stable uh, labor market uh, gains. And we can focus our efforts on bringing inflation down without having to sacrifice all of the economic gains that we've made because of the unique position of strength that we are in. Because of the progress that we have made uh, over the course of the last 15 months, we are now uniquely well positioned to do that. Sounds like uh, kind of a combination of uh, of Maybe he wrote the op-ed and maybe he's got a little case of, uh, of uh, Kamala Harris disease and just repeated himself over and over. And I just don't see that unique position we're in. The White House may not be owning up to it, uh, owning up to anything or any responsibility, but the Secretary of the Treasury is kind of. Here's Janet Yellen on CNN. And first, first uh, they play what she said a year ago and then asked her, asked her for her comments on was she wrong? Is there a risk of inflation? Um, I, I think there's a small risk and I think it's manageable. I don't anticipate that inflation is going to be a problem, but it is something that we're watching very carefully. Was it a mistake, Madam Secretary, to downplay this inflation risk? Did that contribute to the problems we're all seeing right now? Well, um, look, I, I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted uh, energy and food prices and um, supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I didn't, at the time didn't fully understand. 
wait, there were un- unanticipated shocks to the system. You didn't think that when Biden turned off the oil production, that was going to be a shock to the price of gas and uh, the price of gas wasn't going to affect every other industry. And uh, say you didn't think when the FDA closed down, you know, when they found out that Abbott had bacteria in their uh, uh, Similac formula formula uh, in September of 21. And they they rushed into to save the world five months later. And five months later, when they closed down the plant, you didn't think that was going to create a problem with the supply of a baby formula. You know, hey, unanticipated shocks to the system. Maybe if you guys paid attention, maybe if we put actually put in some people that actually have uh, working brains in their heads or have some experience in what they're doing, maybe these things wouldn't be un- unanticipated. Anyway, there's a there's a dose of uh, of reality, uh, you know, uh, of the people just doing sidesteps and trying to to spin it so it doesn't sound like they had anything to do with it. Anyway, I'm a lot of time for this uh, half of the main event. Stay tuned for five five minutes of traffic, weather, commercials, and sports, and I'll be back with lots, lots more. Money don't get everything it's due. What it don't get, I can use. Now give me money. What I want. That's 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 what I want. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, branch manager of Planet Home Lending. I don't talk a lot about real estate and financing on the radio, although I could uh, probably do like a three hour show on it. Um, but the, uh, you know, a lot of you might find it boring. Uh, I kind of feel like that's why uh, real estate and mortgage shows don't seem to stay on the radio too often um, for very long. But, uh, but if you think you might be in the market for a, uh, for a, for a uh, re uh, rearrangement of your finances, uh, whether that's uh, refinancing a piece of property that you own pulling some cash out to pay off some high interest credit cards or some, uh, or some car loans, some stuff to try and increase your income to increase your lifestyle. Um, give me a call 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. If you're thinking about refinancing a piece of property you own, or you want to buy a piece of property that you don't own that you'd like to own. And maybe that's not even in California. I'm licensed in 24 States. So if you, uh, if you want to deal with someone that, uh, that you trust, call me, or uh, go to edhoffman.net, click on the Planet Home Lending logo. If you're over 62 and you're thinking about, uh, would like to have, you feel like you have more uh, years left in your life than you have uh, money, and you want to check out one of those reverse mortgage things, 855-640-2020 or edhoffman.net, click on the Planet Home Lending logo. Okay, so in the first half, we were talking about uh, how Biden was uh, is trying to spin the spin the economy and how his whole, uh, his whole cabinet and his whole administration from uh, Brian Deese and uh, Janet Yellen. And you know what? You'd think, does anybody, did anybody take notice? Biden, Biden didn't do much about uh, um, appointing a cabinet, but just take a bunch of old throwaways from, uh, from, from uh, Obama's cabinet. You know what? Hey, that guy, uh, uh, Merrick Garland, he was uh, supposed to be a Supreme Court justice. He seems like I'll just put him on the, put him on the, uh, as the attorney general. And uh, Janet Yellen, she used to be the Fed secretary. I'll put her in Secretary of Defense. And I'll just pick the, the used up old people from, oh, you know, Jen Psaki, she used to be uh, the, uh, the, the press, press secretary for the, for the State Department. 
And uh, she was kind of uh, not good, but I'll put her in as my sec- press secretary. It's pretty, it's pretty disgusting how he was more concerned with uh, diversity instead of uh, competence. And uh, now we're seeing it. So, uh, so amid the crumbling economy, the border crisis, the president's weak responses and his deteriorating faculties, Democrats are said to be wondering whether a second Biden term is even possible. My vote is no. Even, the New, even New York Magazine got into speculation last week with the story about murmuring at a recent Democrat Governors Association conference. The, uh, the article said, it titled, there has to be a backup plan. There's a backup plan, right? Inside the 2024 soul searching that's happening in every corner of the Democrat Party. What's your contingency plan? Contingency plan? Your backup plan. You got to have some kind of backup plan, right? No, we don't have a backup plan. This is it. And this is the best that you could, that the, the government, the U.S. government can come up with? I mean, you, you're NASA for crying out loud. You put a man on the moon. You're geniuses. You're, you're the guys that think it up. I'm sure you got a team of men sitting around somewhere right now just thinking up and somebody backing them up. You tell me you don't have a backup plan? You say you don't have a backup plan? Well, they don't have a backup plan because the backup plan is typically the vice president. Uh, you know, the president of the Space Force, Kamala Harris. Yeah, <laughs> she's an idiot. She's an, she's an, you know, she's got her faculties and she's an idiot. Biden, on the other hand, uh, has been an idiot for, for years. He's been a lying uh fantasizing just saying whatever comes to his mind for all these years and how did we uh how did we end up with him in the white house so uh, this article describes a tuesday evening in april where the lobbyists donors staffers and elected officials were gathered for the democrat governors association conference but couldn't stop talking about the party's planning for 2024 when biden will stand for re-election on the eve of his 82nd birthday The article states, it is possible for Democrats to feel profound gratitude to Biden for vanquishing Trump and at the same time retain an intense feeling of unease about a visibly aging 79-year-old. Well, I don't know if they should say uh, they should have profound gratitude uh, for Biden for vanquishing Trump because Biden didn't vanquish Trump. Biden was just hiding in his basement. Do you think he really got all those votes? If you haven't seen the movie 2,000 Mules, there's actual data to show how the how the uh, how the Democrats cheated, and and I'm wondering after we saw Michael Sussman uh, get acquitted this week, if there's any possibility that anybody could ever be held responsible for this. You know, couldn't uh, you know they put Dinesh D'Souza in jail for for over donating to a friend who for her campaign? Um, what could they do to uh, Zuckerberg? Mark Zuckerberg, who paid hundreds of millions of dollars through uh, through some 501c3, so he'd get a tax deduction on it, and that 501c3 donated all this stuff to create drop boxes and to staff up the uh, the polls, the polls where they were counting votes, and this was such a such a uh, a detailed and complex plan that they were able to pull off, and we all see, we all see, we all saw it, we see the evidence. We see the evidence, but hey, you know we're the Democrats are are uh, are have gratitude for for uh, for Biden to for vanquishing Trump. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's really really accurate. So, but speaking of when Biden first began running for president, we learned this week 
that he's been spouting nonsense for decades. This is from the first doomed presidential campaign in 1988. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. Went back to law school and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only 123 credits. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class that he does not have three degrees from college, and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the University of Syracuse Law School. I mean, this guy comes off this whole thing as a flyweight. Now Biden says Newsweek is right. His memory had failed him. His memory had failed him in 1988. Well, that was 34 years ago, folks. So, uh, and it's only gotten better since then. He must, he should get on, he should get on the, uh, the Prevagen circuit. Well, you know what? I my, my, you could see in 1988, my, uh, my memory was sinking. And now I'm president of the United States. I've been taking Prevagen since 1988. I could do a whole show on, on BS advertising out there, but, uh, I won't. And now we can add another tall tale to the list of lies. This story from Biden at the Naval Academy graduation last week is uh, being called out for questionable accuracy. Hello, Naval Academy. Before I begin my speech, a thought crossed my mind as I was told the class of 72 is here. I was appointed to the Academy in 1965 by a senator who I was running against in 1972. <laughs> Never planned it that way. I was, wasn't old enough to be sworn in. I was only 29 years old when I was running. He was a fine man. His name was J. Caleb Boggs. I didn't come to the academy because I wanted to be a football star. And you had a guy named Starback and Bellino here. So I went to Delaware. But all kidding aside, the best line of the debate was, after it was all over, the announcer, the questioner, who was a good guy but supported my opponent, who was a good man as well, I might add. And he said, Senator Boggs, you have anything else you want to say? And he said, yes, just one thing. And he took the microphone. He said, you know, Joe, if you accepted my commission to the academy, my appointment to the academy, he said, you'd still have one year and three months active duty, and I'd have no problems right now. Amazing. Amazing. Did you hear, hear all that? Hear all that? So here, let's, let's, talk about all, let's talk about the dates and how this whole fantasy, you know, where, do, where does this stuff come from? He just invents it in his head. From the Washington Examiner on Wednesday, Biden's tale of 1965 Naval Academy appointment draws scrutiny. Joe Biden falsely acclaimed he was appointed to the Naval Academy in 1965 after speaking to the Naval Academy graduates. Uh, they, they pointed out a uh, uh, RNC research tweet here says Joe Biden falsely claimed he was appointed to the Naval Academy in 1965 while speaking to Naval Academy graduates, uh, Naval Academy graduates today. Biden graduated from the University of Delaware in 1965, making that impossible. So the Naval Academy does not offer graduate degrees. And Biden attended Syracuse University for law school after finishing up at University of Delaware. Biden was a star football player in high school and did play on Delaware's freshman team in 1961. So 
He graduated from high school in 1961. Then he went to the uh, then he went to the University of Delaware. So he played football for one year, and he graduated in 1965. And then he started at uh, law school at Syracuse University. But somehow, in the middle of this, they were going to appoint him to the Naval Academy. To the Naval Academy. Uh, right after he got out of college, but they don't offer graduate degrees, so why would they do that? Biden has a history of making claims about his background that turn out to be embellished, such as stories about driving an 18-wheeler and getting arrested during a civil rights protest. The president has made the Naval Academy claim before, too. In 2010, Biden told a similar story, only citing 1960 rather than 1965, when he was still in high school. Biden graduated from high school in 1961 after making the claim on Friday. Biden began his next statement with, all kidding aside, though it's not clear exactly what part of the president was kidding about. RNC spokesman Kyle Martinson said this in a statement, if Biden was accepted to the Naval Academy in 1960s, then his medical deferment from the Vietnam-era military draft for asthma would be scrutinized. Biden claimed his desire to be a football star was why he didn't go to the Naval Academy not medical ineligibility. If Biden wasn't appointed, then he was simply lying to our midshipmen. Either way, America deserves answers. Hmm, this guy's just all over the place. He's been lying for years and years and years, and no one said anything about it. And somehow we've installed him, a sprig of broccoli with a, with a bald spot, into the White House. In the press briefing on Tuesday, one reporter, one reporter tried to get those answers from Corrine Jean-Pierre. The president was born in 1942, graduated from the University of Delaware in 1965. In his address, he said he was appointed to the Naval Academy in 1965. Was he? Was it in 1965? So I'd, oh, I did not hear that part of the speech, uh, so I would have to... Okay, I did. I I missed. A lot of writing about it. I I no. I hear you. I hear you. I have not. I, I need to read it myself and just go back and, and see what you're talking about exactly. I, I can't speak to it right now. Sounds like she's going to have to circle back on that. Seems to be a a, a epidemic of that from that position. So clean up on aisle forty six. That's just one. That's just one time the White House communications office was asked to play cleanup this week. The Uvalde, Texas school shooting last week involved AR-15s, as we all know. But on Monday, Biden described in, instead to talk about targeting 9mm pistols. The most common handgun caliber in the U.S. does, uh, how does, I'm going to start that over. Um, the Uvalde, Texas shooting, the Uvalde, Texas shooting last week involved AR-15s, as we all know. But on Monday, Biden decided instead to talk about targeting 9mm pistols. The most common handgun caliber in the U.S., how does that make sense? 22 caliber bullets will lodge in a lung, and we can probably get it out, maybe able to save the life. A nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high caliber weapons is that there's simply no rational basis for it in terms of what you hear about self-protection, hunting, and remember. Yeah, so for those of you that uh, couldn't hear over the uh, helicopter uh, blades going off, he said, a, 20 a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung, and we can probably get it out, may be able to get it, and save the life of a, save the life. 
a nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high caliber weapons is of there's simply no rational basis for it in terms of thinking about self-protection, hunting. And remember, the Second Amendment was never absolute. Well, you know what? Maybe if we stop thinking about the uh, the the victims, uh, the you know, remember self-protection, you're supposed to be protecting yourself from bad guys. So do I care if they can save him after I shoot him in the head or after I shoot him in the chest? You know, if someone's coming after me trying to kill me and I pull out my gun and and blast a hole in his chest, um, I don't care if they save him. I'm concerned about saving the good guys. So if you take away the nine cal the nine millimeter uh, bullets from everybody, we're, uh, that's just going to keep them out of the hands of the law-abiding citizens. So then the criminals can use whatever they want, and we won't have any way to protect ourselves. So in the press briefing, Peter Ducey asked if Biden was talking about doing what Justin Trudeau was just done in Canada, banning the sale of all handguns. Would President Biden ever consider a similar restriction on handguns here? So, you know, we'll leave it up to other countries uh, to set their policy on gun ownership. Uh, the president has made his position clear. The United States needs to act, as I just laid out. He supports a ban on sale of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines and expanded background checks to keep guns out of the dangerous hands. He does not support a ban on the sale of all handguns, to answer your question. Okay. Well, then on Thursday night, he uh, had his primetime speech, lasted about 15 minutes, and he said basically nothing. Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. This isn't about taking to anyone's rights. It's about protecting children. It's about protecting families. It's about protecting whole communities. It's about protecting our freedoms to go to school, to a grocery store, to a church, without being shot and killed. We need to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21, strengthen background checks, enact safe storage law and red flag laws, repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability, address the mental health crisis, deepening the trauma of gun violence and as a consequence of that violence. These are rational, common sense measures. And if Congress fails, I believe this time a majority of the American people won't give up either. Well, you know what he says? This is about being able to go to the grocery store and the church and without having to worry about getting shot and killed. Well, you know what? Because, because I'm concerned about that, I make sure when we go to the grocery store, I'm carrying. When I go to church, I'm carrying. When I go to the movies, I'm carrying. And I'm more concerned about me, a law-abiding citizen, and my wife and my family than I'm worried about uh, worried about someone else, then I'm worried about the, you know, what, what we're going to use to protect ourselves. Hey, you know what, if we're going to, when the people come up there, I want to be able to, I want to be able to use my nine millimeter and put a hole in somebody because the bad guys don't obey the laws. No matter what laws you put out there, the bad guys are always going to come and then they're going to get us at the grocery store parking lot in the, in church and in the movies and in schools where there's typically People that are, are uh, sitting, sitting ducks waiting to be shot. Um, you know, and if we can't ban assault weapons, let's raise, raise the age from 18 to 21. You know, at, uh, in the military, he, you know, he, in the, I, I've brought up, hey, you know, we send these guys to war in, at 18 and they, and they can use a gun. And then why do we have to raise it up to, uh, 
to 21. And, and his, his answer for that is, well, you know, they go in the military, they get, they get trained by experts. Okay. Is that going to change anything? You could say, Hey, you can buy a long gun at, at 18, but you can't buy it unless you go through this training. Okay. Have them train, but whack jobs are still going to do what whack jobs are going to do. If you're mentally messed up, it's not going to change whether you got trained or not. And then of course, the last part was appeal the immunity of gun manufacturers. Well, gun manufacturers manufacture a killing machine. There's no other reason to have a handgun as other to, to kill someone. So in, and you know, in, in my, in our case, it's to protect us from someone trying to kill us. So you're going to make them take away their immunity from the responsibility when someone dies with the use of their product, which is designed to kill people. I don't know if any of this stuff makes sense to you, but I just don't think it makes sense at all. So anyway, that's, uh, you know, and this is the same, this is the same conversation that goes on every year. And the and every time there's a shooting, we, we don't deal with the problem. We don't deal with the problem. I will, I will say, Hey, expand, expand, uh, background checks, expand background checks, make the FBI do them. Hold the FBI accountable for, Hey, you know, you're going to do a background check, check the social media, check the, check the people's backgrounds, check what they really are. And let's make, let's make, let's make some people responsible for not reacting to uh, red flags. Maybe we should make that teacher, that teacher who propped the door open at, at, uh, at the, at the school in uh, Texas. Maybe we should, maybe we should make her responsible because the school was locked down. She propped the door open so she go get her cell phone and then left it propped open when she went back to class, which is how he got in the building. Maybe we should make those kids that were on social media with him uh, responsible because they didn't say anything, even though they said to themselves, hey, this guy could be a potential school shooter. They didn't say anything to anybody else to, to, to uh, go check him out, and make sure he's not a school shooter. And maybe that red flag should be put somewhere. So when they do a background check to, so he can legally check, uh, buy a gun. It says red flag. Hey, this guy's a potential school shooter. Don't give him a gun. So anyway, uh, let's talk about the inside the White House, uh, the White House adrift. This article is based on interviews of more than two dozen current and formal administration officials, lawmakers, con congressional aides, and other Democrats close to the White House who spoke on the condition of anonymity to freely discuss the president's private conversations. Biden is rattled by his sinking approval ratings and is looking to regain voters' confidence that he can provide the sure-handed leadership he promised during the campaign, people close to the president say. Crises have piled up in ways that have at times made the Biden White House look flat-footed, or in other words, incompetent. Democratic leaders have, are at a loss about how he can revive his prospects by November when the midterm elections may cost his party control of Congress. I would say they will. That's not even a may. The article goes on to talk about the West Wing staffers who may get fired. It continues. Biden's feeling lately that he just can't catch a break. Biden is frustrated. If it's not one thing, it's another. He said a person close to the president. It just goes to show you. It's always something. If it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not one thing, it's another. Rosanna, Rosanna, Rosanna Dana. I think he's uh, stealing his, he's stealing uh, his, uh, his lines from her. Biden is annoyed that he wasn't our, uh, that he wasn't alerted sooner about the baby formula shortage and that he got his first briefing in the past month, even though the crisis had been in been in the making since last September. Of course, maybe you can go back to the to my uh, 
to my suggestion that maybe we should have appointed people based on competence instead of diversity. Beyond policy, Biden is unhappy about a pattern that has developed inside the West Wing. He makes a clear and succinct statement only to have aides rush to explain that he actually meant something else. The so-called cleanup campaign, he has told advisors, undermines him and smothers the authenticity that fueled his rise. Did anybody really think he was authentic, speaking from his basement in Delaware? Worse, it feeds the Republican talking points that he's not fully in command. We know damn well he's not fully in command. Asked about the staff's practice of clarifying Biden's remarks, the official said, we don't say anything that the president doesn't want us to say. So anyway, we've got a, we've, I've got about a minute and a half to talk, and we're going to talk about the, uh, the, the 21, 21 people, all the black people that were appointed staff members of the White House and, and why they're leaving. Everyone's going, oh, my God, we don't know why they're, not, why they're, why they're all leaving, all the black people. At least 21 staffers have left the White House since, since late last year or are planning to leave soon. They talk about how they're not taken seriously or given, uh, given opportunities for advancement. Let's hear Candace Owens' theory on it. So at the same time, you're having these black Americans that were quite literally just given these positions. They weren't meant to do anything. They never wanted them to actually do anything. They probably were underqualified for the positions that they even had. But the idea was, oh, look, we're getting on our knees and we're going to do this and show you that we're going to hire a bunch of black people. But we don't actually care what they think. We just need them to be sit there and be black. Now the black Americans in the White House are waking up and going, you know what, that's not OK with me. Yeah, they're saying, hey, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm just being here being black. They don't listen to me. They don't ask me questions. They just let me sit at my desk and, and use up the taxpayer's money. And while the taxpayer's money is being spent to fill a position that's important, like pay attention to what's going on in this country, we're paying the money and we don't have it. Every, we have a loss, a loss of, uh, of intelligence going on because nobody's paying attention because they put people in there that weren't competent. They were just black. Anyway, that's Candace Owens' take on it, and I uh, have to agree with her. Anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of The Main Event. So my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back again with you next week.